My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to each and every one of you, and welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We're going to take a break from our series on the book of Acts because we're going to spend the next five weeks or so getting ready for really two of the biggest days in the Christian calendar. We're going to get ready for Good Friday and then Easter as we celebrate that Jesus died and rose again. And, and so as we do that, we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Mark in a sermon series that we're going to call just five times or so, uh, five sermons or so, but The Way of the Cross. Mark really from the beginning starts Jesus on that road that goes to the cross that he's ultimately going to die on and then, and then again rise again from the dead. And so we're going to start at the, at the very beginning of that with the Jesus and, and his first words, which are really a call to us to follow him to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. And so this morning I want to start by reading for you Mark 1, um, verses 14 to 20, all right? This is what Mark writes. He says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For Simon and Andrew, for James and John, in, in many ways we could say it was a day like any other day, right? I mean, it, it was a day they had lived a thousand times already by this point in their life. They're 25 years old, maybe, maybe a little younger, maybe a little bit older. But it was another beautiful day on the rocky north shore of the Sea of Galilee for them. And, and they always appreciated beautiful days when they were fishing because that's what they did all the time. The Sea of Galilee is up in the northern part of Israel there. You see Jerusalem on the bottom. Sea of Galilee is up near the top. The territory of Galilee is uh, just to the one side of the Sea of Galilee there. And they were probably somewhere near Capernaum. Uh, That became kind of home base for Jesus during his time up by the Sea of Galilee. And so they were probably somewhere near Capernaum. And I'll tell you, it is beautiful. Okay, it is a beautiful area. It could get nasty when storms came up, but it was absolutely gorgeous. You see the water kind of there and then rising up into some comfortable hills on this side of the the north side here of the Sea of Galilee. It was another beautiful day on the rocky north shore there of the Sea of Galilee. And Simon and Andrew are casting a net into the lake, we're told, right? They're throwing their net into the lake. Now, there are different ways to fish on the Sea of Galilee at this time, and they were, it seems, doing it with, what, not from a boat. They were standing on the edge, something like this, standing on the edge of the water. They'd have a, a net that was round. It'd have a, a, a rope attached to it, weights on the side. They'd throw it out. It'd drop down, hopefully gather some fish in it, and they'd pull it in. And then they'd throw it out and, and, and keep pulling it in. And so they were casting a net into the lake, It was a normal day, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and turns their world just absolutely upside down. And he does it basically with two words. Come, he says, follow me. 
Follow me, Jesus said. And and those two words turned their world upside down. It changed absolutely everything for them. Come follow me and I will make you, I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I don't know exactly how they knew it. I don't know if this was kind of a special formula, so to speak, or whatever. But they knew when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't just saying, follow me, I need help getting my boat unstuck. (laughs) Follow me, let's go have lunch. No, this was follow me, be my disciples, learn from me. Leave everything else behind and follow me with all that you have and all that you are. Now, something that's kind of interesting to notice here is that this was unusual. And and what was unusual about it, it was unusual for a rabbi to call a disciple. What would usually happen in a situation like this, there were, there were rabbis around and you would hear about them. And if you were good enough and smart enough and had enough schooling, you could go and, and, and find a rabbi and you could apply. And you would say, am I good enough for you? Will you take me on? Can I be your disciple? Jesus turns that upside down. And he comes to these guys who probably had failed school or uh, had dropped out of school at some point, hadn't continued to go on the, the road up. And he comes to them, normal people like you and me, and he says, you, follow me. You be my disciple. I want you, you have what it takes. I, I know that in school they told you that you didn't have what it takes, but I tell you this, you have what it takes, and I want you to follow me. And they go. I, I, I don't think we understand how strange this next verse is. I mean, at once they left their nets and followed him. Can you imagine if all of a sudden on Tuesday somebody came into your office, somebody came into your workplace, into your school, said, follow me, and you just left everything else? You just walked away from everything else, but that's what they did. They, they left it behind. I don't know if they said, hey, buddy, can you, can you kind of take care of our nets and stuff because we gotta go. It sounds like they almost just left the stuff all out there. But at once, I mean, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. So they followed Jesus, and Jesus and Simon and Andrew are walking further along the shore James and John are preparing their nets, all right? But this time, it's a little different. They're in a boat, okay? Uh, Mark says this, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, his brother John in a boat preparing their nets, all right? So they have a boat that must have been a little wealthier than Simon and Andrew, right? I mean, they've, they've got a boat. They've got actually hired people working on the boat. So this is a bigger operation. They would have been out going out into the deeper water, and they would have been trawling with a big boat or big net around them, and gathering up fish that way. So they're there preparing their nets. Either they've come in from a nighttime of fishing or they're getting ready to go out later in the day, whatever it was. But they're getting their nets ready for the next time of going out. Without delay, Jesus immediately called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They simply walked away. I I don't know. I mean, if you can imagine what it'd be like to be Zebedee. (laughs) I mean, he's built up this business and the kids are here. His sons are going to take over someday. And all of a sudden, some guy comes around. Jesus has been preaching. They've heard him some. But as far as he doesn't have a lot of resources. It's not like Jesus has a, a whole church behind him and room for four more employees on the staff. No, Jesus is Jesus. He's just by himself at this point. He's been preaching some, but he's just by himself. And that's all they see. And he says, follow me. And they say, okay, we'll go. 
And their lives were never the same, all right? Their lives were absolutely never the same because of those two words, follow me. And, and what I want you to think about today is that Jesus makes this same call to us. And, and it's just as crazy and it's just as radical and he calls for just as much of ourselves to give to him. He, he says to each and every one of us, follow me. Follow me and I'll show you life. Follow me and I'll give you the, the kingdom of God. I'll bring you into that. Follow me. And the biggest question we have to answer in our lives is will we go? Will we genuinely follow? Now, I don't think that we're all going to be called to, to take up full-time ministry things. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But each and every one of us is called not just to check a box and say, I believe, but to actually follow. I want to think about that call with you, and, and, and I want to think about five things. I think as we work our way through Mark here, we're going to see that there are five things that we need to understand about, about the call of Jesus for us to, to leave everything and follow him with all that we have and all that we are. First thing is really important because it shows us, and I'll, I'm first going to show you and then I'll, I'll, I'll help you understand it. But, but what we learn first is, is that Christianity is different than any other religion. I'm going to put it this way. Jesus' call comes after the announcement of the good news. The order of events is hugely important. The, the order of events changes everything, and it makes Christianity absolutely unique. Let me, let me show this to you. We start at verse 14. John has been there. John the Baptist has been preaching, get ready, because the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, prepare your hearts. Somebody else is coming. The Messiah is coming. John gets put in prison by Herod, okay? And when that's done, when John's off the scene, now Jesus comes on the scene. He went into Galilee, that area in the north, proclaiming what? The good news. The good news of God. The first thing that happens is Jesus says, I have good news. And, and that word good news is, is the word that we get gospel from. It's, it's evangel. It's the, it's the announcement of something that's, what, something amazing has happened. It was a certain kind of announcement. It was a gospel. It was something amazing has happened, and it will bring you joy. So this would happen regularly in that culture. They'd send out messengers. If, if Caesar, if one of the Caesars, one of the emperors had a baby boy, in that culture it had to be a baby boy, they'd send out somebody to declare the gospel. I have for you the gospel. I have for you good news. A child has been born and his name is whatever it is, Octavian, and he will be a savior to you. I mean, that, there are announcements exactly like that. This is the, the beginning of the gospel, of the good news of Caesar Augustus. There's an inscription that says that. When they would win in battle, when they would win in battle, they would say, they would send a messenger and say, I have a gospel, I have a good news, I have something that happened that you didn't have anything to do with, but that it's gonna benefit you. You're gonna have more freedom. You're going to have deeper joy. This is so, and so the gospel was an announcement of something that had happened that brought you joy that you didn't do. And so Jesus comes in and he says, I preach the gospel to you. The gospel, not of Caesar Augustus, but the gospel of God. The good news of God. And what does he preach? He says, the time has come. It's finally here. We've been waiting for so long. God's prophets have been saying it's going to happen. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. 
God is breaking in. God is coming to us. God has come in me, Jesus says, to set you free. God has come in me to reclaim his kingdom. God has come both for us personally, but also for the entire universe. He has come to make all things new. And, and, and Jesus says, that's where it starts. And so the first thing that happens is Jesus proclaims that. All right, first Jesus announces the good news. And then he calls for a response. Then he says, because God has done this or is doing this, repent. Repent and believe the good news. Follow me. Turn your lives around and, and start up a new life in the kingdom. Repent and follow me. There's an order there. Who cares? Let me tell you why this matters. This is what makes Christianity unique. And this is what we must always, always, always remember. Because when we as Christians forget this, we lose the heart of the gospel. You see, what we learn from this is that Christianity is not about what we do to get right with God. Jesus did not come and say, I have gospel for you. I have good news for you. I know how you can make God happy. I know what you need to do in order to get right with God. I know how you can earn the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus doesn't say, here's this list. Almost every other religion is that way, right? Islam, you have to follow the five pillars, if you pray enough, if you give enough, if you're a Muslim, if you pray enough, give enough, and make the trip to Mecca and do all the things you're supposed to do, then you get to go to paradise. But it's all dependent on what you do. It's all dependent on your activities. In Hinduism, reincarnation, if you're good, you're reincarnated as something better, and then something better. And if you're good, life after life after life, eventually you attain what you really wanted and, 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 and you get there. But it's all of Christianity, friends. You must understand this. The gospel is not a list of what you must do. Christianity is about what God has done to make us right with him. It begins with that announcement. It begins with God coming and saving his people in the midst of our sin. The fact of the matter is it will never work. It will never work if it's based on what I do. I will never pray enough. I will never love enough. I will never serve enough. And so before Jesus says, come to me, he says, first, let me die for you. Then follow me. And again, in, in the gospels, obviously, they're following him on the road to the cross. But it's, it's not. And, and so in some ways, the difference between Christianity and every other religion if you want to know how to explain it to somebody really simply, it's the difference between do what we do. It's not about that and done what God has done. And it needs to start there. We are saved by grace alone. I will never get there. It all starts with Jesus and it's about him loving me. And all I can do is say thank you and receive the kingdom. On the one hand, it's absolutely free. That's why I say it matters that Jesus' call comes after the announcement of the good news, the gospel, the good news. Jesus dies on the cross, and then he says, now, I've died for you. Die so you can live in me. So that's on the one hand. And, 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 and part of what I love about this is, is then we get the other hand, and it almost feels contradictory. If we're not thinking clearly, it can feel like it's contradictory, but it's not. 
and, and I'll show you why it's not, and so on. We'll talk about that. So on the one hand, we're saved by grace. Jesus' call comes after the announcement of the good news. But we also have to recognize Jesus' call is radical. It is so powerful. He changes everything. It involves every part of who we are. It involves everything that we do and everything. It, 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 on the one hand, it requires everything. It's absolutely free and it costs us nothing, but it requires us to give up everything. <laughs> Not because we're paying for it, but because we realize everything else is the road to death. Everything else does not bring us the freedom and the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it is a radical call. Three ways that, that Jesus' call here to them is, is radical. First of all, it involves our entire lives. It is not just a change in what we believe. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we present the message of Christianity to somebody and, and it kind of comes off like, well, what you got to do is now raise your hand and say you believe. You got to pray a prayer. You've got to check a box. Yep, now I'm a Christian. Yeah, it does involve believing. Jesus said, repent and believe, right? It involves believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world. It involves believing that through his death on the cross, I am made new. But Jesus doesn't say, just believe in me and, and, and keep fishing. Believe in me and just stay the way you are. No, he accepts us wherever we are, but he never leaves us there. It involves a change in who we are to the very core of our being, our character. It involves a change in how we think and in what we do. Jesus' call is to follow him. I need to keep reminding myself of that because it can be so easy to say, sure, I'm a Christian, I believe. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, believe in me. He said, follow me. Leave everything else behind. Follow me. I was reading a, a book this week, and, and, it, and it had this stat in it, and I found it amazing and challenging. Maybe you will as well. In the New Testament, in describing followers of Jesus, the word Christian is only used three times. Okay? The word Christian, and Christian has kind of that sense of, I am a Christian. It's rather static, right? I believe this. The word disciple is used 368 times. Think about that. The New Testament reminds us that we are not static Christians. We are not just people who've changed our belief. We are called to be disciples. We are called to be people who follow, people who change everything about our lives, all right? It involves our, not just what we believe, but our, our hearts and our character, and, and we follow Jesus Christ. I talk differently, I think differently, I love differently, I serve differently, because I am a disciple. The guys who wrote this book where I found this stat suggest, and it would be interesting if we could do it. I, I'm so used to saying Christians, right? We describe ourselves as Christians. But what if we, for the next year, said, I'm a disciple? Are you a Christian? Well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Would that remind me more? Would that help me to understand that I'm called not just to, to believe, but to, to live in a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, to follow, to do something, to go somewhere? It involves every area of my life. It's not just something that I agree to in my head. Second, I think we got to recognize that, that the call of Jesus leads us into a completely different direction than we've been going. Jesus calls us to repent, Right? He says, look, God has come near, repent. And, and, and that word repent is, is a, a, a word that means do a U-turn. 
Hallelujah, right? I mean, turn around 180 degrees, degrees and live differently. Apart from Christ, apart from his changing our hearts, we live for ourselves. We are incurably curved in on ourselves. Jesus says, no, life isn't that way. You want to find real life? Learn to serve and give and love. And it's a radical different way of living. The world is about power. We are about serving. The world says the greatest is the richest, and we are about saying, no, the greatest is the deepest servant. And it's upside down. But Jesus says, follow me. And he says, follow me into the different kingdom. The kingdom of God, he says, has come near. And in the kingdom of God, the servants are the greatest. The great first are last. And, and, we, and we seek simply to bless everybody else. And, and we're supposed to be a foretaste of that together. And, and, and so it leads us in a completely different direction. It involves every part of our lives. It leads us in a completely different direction. And it takes priority over every other call in our lives. All right? I mean, that's what it did for these guys, right? It takes pro- over, their, over their career. It takes priority. They're there. They're doing their job. But at once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, at once they just walked away and they said, no, this is more important. This is more important. It's over our careers. Now, again, I said already, I don't think that most of us are going to be called into full-time ministry if God does listen. But for all of us, it must become more important. Following Jesus is a higher priority than having a great career. Following Jesus is more important. It might mean that you need to say, I'm not going to take that promotion. Because if I get that busy, I'm not going to be able to serve at church in this way. I'm not going to take that promotion because we have to move away from the community of faith that I really want to be a part of. It needs to be the highest priority. Following Jesus is more important than anything else you are doing, your career, or our families. John, James and John, they left their father Zebedee. They left him there. Now, again, they're going to be together with him. It's not the sort of thing, we're not a cult, um, that we say, you never talk to your parents again. No. But it's priority. It's priority. Again, my highest priority becomes following Jesus more than following my parents. Though when you're younger, you still obey your Jesus, or you follow Jesus by obeying your parents. But the call of Jesus takes priority. Even over good things. Family is a good thing. Your career is a good thing. But Jesus needs to come first. And if your family compromises your commitment to Jesus, you've got to choose Jesus. So is there anything you need to leave behind? Anything I need to leave behind? Is there anything that's keeping me from being faithful and following Jesus? It might be a good thing. Sports are a good thing. But if they're taking up too much of your time, your kids are good things, but if they're taking up too much of your time, you got no time for Jesus, right? Your job, is there anything you need to say, you know what? I think I I need to get more serious about this and recognize I'm going to be better able to follow Jesus if I take this demotion. Takes priority over the call in our lives. So Jesus' call is radical. He changes absolutely everything. Third thing, <clears throat> so, and, well, let me see. So, again, trying to figure out that balance, you know, holding that balance. It's absolutely free. It costs us everything. 
we have to give up everything. It, not to buy it, but to experience it, to taste it. God can only fill our hands when they're empty of everything else. So that's why I think we live, again, so freely in grace, but also so much wanting to say, help me, Jesus, to know all of you and to give all of me to all of you. The third thing that we recognize about Jesus' call here um, is that Jesus' call does not include an itinerary. I wish it did, but God's call rarely, if ever, does, right? God doesn't tell us where we're going. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to follow me, and we're going to go to this place and this place and this place. He just says, follow me. That's what he said to Abraham, right? In Hebrews, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went not knowing where he was going, not knowing where he was going. So often that's what it's like following Jesus Christ. I don't know where he's going to take me, and I have to just trust his voice. He doesn't always tell us where we're going. He does promise us that there will be struggles on the journey. He says, you know, in this world you will have struggles, but don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. He promises us that he'll be there with us every step of the way. And he promises us that the ending is awesome. <laughs> and, and I think, again, the Bible struggles with describing heaven because it's better than any words can capture. But the ending is awesome. Tim Keller preached on this passage, and, and he was helpful for a lot of this stuff. But at one point, he tells a story from a guy by the name of George MacDonald. Um, the book is called The Princess and the Goblin. George MacDonald wrote this book about 150 years ago. Um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien um, right, Narnia, the Hobbits, all that stuff. They say George MacDonald inspired us. He's the one who taught us. And so he wrote a book called The Princess and the Goblin. It's a story about a princess. She's Irene. That's her name. She's eight years old. Her mother has passed away. Her father is off and away on business, uh, being the king. Um, and, and, and she lives in this huge house. And as she's exploring the house, one day she goes up into the attic and she discovers her a great, great, great grandmother up there who's very old but very young and very beautiful. And she goes and they talk and, and it's just wonderful for Irene. But sometimes when she goes, grandma is there and sometimes great, great, great grandmother is not. She calls her grandmother. So sometimes she's there and sometimes she's not. One time um, Irene is out and, and there's a cat that scares her and so she runs back to the house and she sees that the light in the attic is on. She runs up there and grandma's there. Grandmother holds her and says, it's okay, it's okay. And Irene says, grandma, I'm scared because if I need you, grandmother, I'm scared if I need you, I don't know if you'll be here. And so Irene's grandmother gives her a ring and there's a ball of very thin, thin thread attached, okay? And grandma keeps the thin thread, the ball, and the ring goes on Irene's finger, okay? It's tied there. You can't see it. You have to just feel it. This is what grandmother says. She says, now listen, if you ever find yourself in danger, you must take off your ring and put it under the pillow of your bed. Then you must lay your finger, your forefinger upon the thread, and follow the thread wherever it leads you. And Irene says, oh, how delightful. It will lead me to you, grandmother, right? I know this. Yes. But remember, it may seem to you a very roundabout way indeed. And you must not doubt the thread. Of one thing you might be sure, that while you hold it, I hold it too. 
One night, Irene is in bed, and uh, there are goblins in the community that come out at night and threaten the humans and, and try to make mischief. And so the goblins are coming into the house. They're trying to break in. And, and, and so Irene uh, reaches underneath and takes the, the ring off her finger, and he puts it underneath the pillow. And, and, and she starts to follow the thread. And she assumes it's going to take her up to the attic, but it doesn't. It takes her out the window where the goblins are. There aren't any right down here. But, and then she follows it, and it actually leads her to the mines where the goblins come out of. And, and, and she's following this, and she's thinking, this doesn't make sense. This is, and, and, but she says, I will trust grandmother's thread. I will follow the thread. And she stays, and she goes down into the mine, and, and she ends up at a dead end. The mine has been blocked off. All these rocks are there, and the, the mine has been blocked off. And she starts to cry. And... and she doesn't know what to do. The thought strikes her that at least she could follow the thread backward and thus get out. But the instant she tried to feel it backward, it vanished from her touch. It could only go forward. So she ends up pulling all those rocks away and her fingers are dirty and bloody. And as she gets there, she hears her friend, Curdy. He's been captured by the goblins. She opens up a way and she climbs in and, 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 and Curdy is so thankful. I don't know how you got here. My grandmother left me her thread. And, and she led me to you. And as Curdy is leaving, he turns around and Irene is going further into the cave. Curdy says, oh, wh- where are you going there? That's not the way out. That's where I couldn't get out. And Irene said, I know that. But this is the way my thread goes. And I must follow it. I love that picture. I want to live that with Jesus. I want to just say, I will follow your thread. I will follow your word. I will follow your guidance. And I will not look backwards. No turning back, no turning back, but I will continue to follow. Even if it leads me into a cave, I will continue to follow. Even if it leads me to a a series of rocks, I will continue to follow. Because I know ultimately you are with me, and one day you will bring me home. And I love that picture. Jesus doesn't give us an itinerary but he gives us a thread. All right, those three. Fourth one, Jesus' call comes with a job. All right, he calls us to be fishers for people, right? Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, two things I want to say about fishing for people. First of all, and it's not clear in the text, but it is in other translations, learning to fish is a process. It is when you're learning to fish for fish fish, but it's also when you're learning to fish for human fish. It's something that we get better at. It's something that we become. The, the translation that we've read so far is the New International Version. And, and it, it, Jesus kind of says in there, I will send you out. It almost sounds like, yep, just go. Tell others about me. Tell others about my kingdom, even though you don't know what it's all about or anything. The New, the New English Translation puts it this way. I will turn you into fishers of people. And you get a sense that there's a process there, right? I will turn you into the New American Standard Bible says, I will make you and I will make you become fishers of men. Again, process. The word become is clearly in the text, okay? So I wish the NIV had included it. But but it's a process. We become fishers of people. And, and I want to just mention Eric's got a, a training day coming up, Saturday, March 16, an evangelism training day. If you want to say, I want to get better at fishing, then Join, be here at Hillside. 
You can sign up for it. There's information and bulletin and whatnot. But there's an evangelization. This is all about learning to fish. The other thing I want to say about learning to fish and fishing is that in the Bible, the sea is chaos and judgment, all right? The sea is a place of chaos and judgment. So what we're doing when we're fishing is we're rescuing people from that. Usually when we, when we catch fish, we take them out of their proper environment. In the Bible, when we catch fish, we're taking them out of the death and into the life of Jesus and the kingdom. So how are you doing with that? Are you getting better at fishing for people? Let's keep moving here. Jesus' call comes after the announcement of good news. Jesus' call is radical. He changes everything. It does not include an itinerary, but it does include a job. And it's a call into a relationship. It's a call into a relationship. First with him, Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say follow these guidelines. Follow, follow me. I will be with you. Whenever you have the thread, I am there. And, and so we do this in relationship with Jesus, with the one who died for us, the one who rose again to give us strength and power. Jesus said, follow me. And we do it in relationship with each other. You don't do this alone. Simon wasn't called without Andrew. James wasn't called without John. And pretty soon there were a dozen. And they walked together. And so do we. I can't be faithful in following Jesus without you. I genuinely believe that. That I cannot be faithful in following Jesus without the body of Christ. And most importantly, without Jesus himself. And neither can you. So these relationships will bring us to the table here. That relationship first with Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who gave his life and said, this is my body given for you, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel always comes first. This is the one who says, follow me and I will feed you. And he is with us again in the bread and in the cup. But we also come to this table together. And maybe today you want to look around a little bit and thank God for the people next to you and behind you and in front of you. Because Jesus calls us into a relationship with each other. Let's pray together. Father, you come and you call us into a, a radical relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you that you love us enough. You don't leave us to just be on our own, but you call us to experience your grace, to come into your kingdom, to begin to taste life. So fill us more and more with that life. Thank you for Jesus, for the gift of his death and resurrection. And now thank you for this table. And thank you for each other. As we come to this table, we come also to you, and we come as a body together. So bind us together through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.